Previously on the Grand Sophie, Charles and the rest of the Rivenhall family have found their lives disrupted. Sophie has arrived at Berkeley Square and is causing absolute havoc already. A monkey! Gertrude! She has brought a monkey and a parrot! Are you uh, she's brought a load of animals into the house, she's stolen my horses and run around with them, and she's planning a massive party without having told anyone. We will go and order the cards. I imagine we shall not need more than 500. As a result, Charles is furious and has headed to his fiancée's house for a little calm down. He arrived at his fiancée's somewhat cheerless house, seething with indignation over Sophie's presumption that she could ask whom she pleased to his family mansion. But he was of a thankless and perverse disposition. And when he found that Eugenia shared his sentiments about Sophie... I completely agree with you, Charles. I find her behaviour utterly reprehensible. Your poor mamma! He rapidly changed his tune. Mamma adores her. And you must remember, my dear Eugenia, that she has been dragged round Europe by my uncle, who was so busy as a diplomat that Sophie was denied a conventional upbringing. She certainly behaves in an unconventional way. I can forgive much in a girl who can handle my horses as deftly as she did. I thought it was her handling of people you were complaining of. On the contrary. I find her unaffected manners positively refreshing when everyone else simpers. I do not simper. And not you, of course. I meant the young girls one meets nowadays. I'm sorry, Charles, but to drive about the city entirely unattended... And that was in some sort my fault. I did put her back up. But she controlled my greys fresh as they were, which shows she's a capital whip. Still, I'm not going to let her have her own carriage while she's in my mother's charge. Good God, we never know from one moment to the next where she was. For if I know anything of my abominable cousin, driving decorously around the park would not do for her at all. Your composure does you great credit, my dear Charles. Even though she put me in a thundering rage. To drive a gentleman's horses without his leave is not conduct I can condone. Even I have never requested you let me take the reins. I trust you never will, for I should certainly refuse such a request. What do you mean? My dear Eugenia, you could never hold my horses. If Eugenia hadn't been so well-bred, she would have returned a pretty hot rejoinder to this tactless remark, for she prided herself a little on her handling of the ribbons. As it was, she was obliged to pause for a moment before saying anything, during which brief time she resolved to demonstrate to Charles and his objectionable cousin that a lady reared on the strictest principles of propriety could be quite as notable a horsewoman as any hoyden who'd spent her girlhood junketing about the continent. If your cousin cares for such things, perhaps she would like to ride with me one afternoon in the park. That will divert her thoughts from such foolish notions as setting up her own carriage. Let's make up a party, Charles. I know your sister Cecilia is not fond of the exercise, but my brother Alfred... Who Charles, being an intolerant man, generally avoided... ...would be pleased to join me, and you may bring your cousin. Shall we say tomorrow? That's very handsome of you, Eugenia. I'm much obliged to you. You know I try to assist you in all things, Charles. And I know that I can rely on you in every predicament. Oh, Charles, would that circumstances allowed us to marry at once. When the invitation was conveyed to Sophie, she accepted it immediately and appeared on the following afternoon in a tightly fitting habit of pale blue cloth with epaulets and frogging like a hussar's. Narrow lace ruffles at the wrists and a tall crowned hat with a plume of curled ostrich feathers, which made Charles's sister Cecilia exclaim. Oh, Sophie, you look so beautiful. Doesn't she, Charles? 
I, <clears throat> I'm no judge of such matters, but I am a fair judge of horse flesh, and I have to say, Sophie, that your horse is magnificent. I can see why young Hubert went into raptures. I'm glad you approve, Charles. Salamanca is indeed magnificent, but you have to know how to manage him. Let me just indulge his playfulness. I beg pardon. Shall we go to the park? Good day to you, Miss Stanton Lacey. May I introduce you to my brother Alfred? How to do? That's quite a horse. He is indeed a beautiful creature, but surely he is a little too strong for you. You should commission Charles to find a well-mannered lady's horse like my Dorcas for you to ride. I fear his notions and mine on that subject are widely separated, Miss Raxton. And though he is a trifle spirited, Salamanca has what the Duke calls excellent bottom. He carried me for league upon dreary league without a sign of flagging. Know the Duke well, do you? Quite the great man, ain't he? I dare say you're on famous terms with him, for you knew him in Spain, didn't you? My dear Alfred, Miss Stanton Lacey will tell you the Duke has more important things to think of than all of us poor females who hold him in such admiration. Well, no, I don't think I should say that. But I was never one of his flirts, if that's what you mean, Mr. Raxton. I am not at all in his style, I assure you. Shall we ride on? Tell me, is your horse Spanish? Handsome, but a little too nervous for my taste. Salamanca isn't really nervous. He's merely funny. Would you like to see me put him through his paces? He was Mameluke trained, you know. For heaven's sake, Sophie, not in the past. We shall have everyone staring at us. Well, you won't mind if I shake the fidgets out of his legs. He is itching for a gallop. Tally-ho! What is to be done with her? Galloping in the park and in a habit I should blush to wear. I was never more shocked. Yes, but bye. God, she can ride. Eugenia decided, with all the tact on which she plumed herself, that she was the one who must take Sophie in hand. I understand, my dear Miss Stanton Lacey, that a great deal of license is permitted on the continent to females. Here, it is quite the reverse. To be thought bad tall would be very dreadful, I assure you. You will, of course, wish to attend the assemblies at Almax, for instance. Almax was the ballroom whose functions only the most aristocratic and fashionable people could attend. But should the veriest breath of criticism reach the ears of the patronesses, you may bid farewell to any hope of obtaining a voucher from them. Tickets may not be purchased without a voucher, you know. It is most exclusive. The rules, too, are very strict and must not be contravened by a hair's breadth. You terrify me. Do you think I shall be blackballed? Hardly, since you will make your debut under Lady Ombersley's aegis. However... Forgive me, but I think Madame de Leven is waving to me, and it would be very uncivil not to notice her. Madame de Leven? One of Almac's most influential patronesses. Sophie, your father told me I should meet you here. You were galloping in the park. Never do so again. You have not seen Princess Esterhazy or Lady Jersey. I shall tell them I have met you, and they will want to hear how Sir Horace does. Now, what did I promise him I would do? Ah, Almax, of course. I will send you a voucher, my chère Sophie. But do not gallop in Hyde Park. You are fortunate in knowing so many of the patronesses of Almax, Miss Stanton Lacey. 
to be honest, I think my good fortune lies in having such an accomplished flirt for a father. It goes without saying that when Sophie went to Olmax, she was the centre of attention, especially for a group of young military gentlemen who'd met her in Brussels before Waterloo. Prominent among these gentlemen was Colonel Sir Vincent Talgarth. Well, if it isn't the grand Sophie. An old admirer of Sophie's who described him as dangling after every heiress who came his way. Naturally, his reputation as a fortune hunter did not endear him to Charles, who tried in vain to discourage his frequent visits to Barclay Square to see his cousin. And when Eugenia came across Sophie in the phaeton she'd bought, despite Charles's strictures, and found she was talking to the reprehensible Sir Vincent, she thought it her duty to intervene. So this is the carriage I hear so much of. At all events, you have a fine pair of horses, and you have driven them tandem. I do not think I would trust myself to do so. Miss Raxton, you are acquainted with Sir Vincent Talgarth, I believe? Sir Vincent. Miss Raxton. Uh, do you know, I must ask you to take me up beside you for one turn. I am quite jealous of your prowess, I assure you. Pray, come with me, Miss Raxton. I shall naturally be put on my mettle. Sir Vincent, we meet on Friday, then. You will call for us at Berkeley Square. Yes, indeed. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I am so happy to have this opportunity of speaking with you, Miss Stanton Lacey. I had come to think it impossible to find you alone. You are acquainted with so many people. Am I not fortunate? Yes, indeed. Though sometimes, dear Miss Stanton Lacey, when one has a multitude of friends, one is perhaps inclined not to be as careful as one should be. I wonder if I might venture to put you a little on your guard. In Paris and Vienna, I'm sure you'd be more able to tell me how I should go on. But in London, I must be more at home than you. Oh, I should never be so impertinent as to tell you how to go on anywhere. Perhaps that would not be necessary. My mamma has always been a most careful parent. I feel so much compassion for you, dear Miss Stanton Lacey. You must so often have felt the want of a mother. Don't waste your compassion on me, I beg. I never wanted a mother while I had Sir Horace. Gentlemen are not the same. An unarguable statement. How do you like my bays? Will you allow me to speak without reserve? Short of overturning you, I can hardly prevent it. But you had much better not. You should know I am very unbiddable, and if I were to lose my temper, I might do what I should afterwards be sorry for. But, but I must speak. I, I owe it to your cousin. How so? You will understand he does not like to mention the matter himself. He feels a certain delicacy. I thought you were talking of Charles. Which cousin do you mean? I am talking of Charles. Nonsense! He has no delicate scruples whatsoever. Miss Stanton Lacey, this levity is not becoming. I don't think you can be aware of how fatal it is to set up the backs of people and to give rise to such gossip as must be painful to the Riven Halls. Are you suggesting that because I drive a high-rise phaeton, I give rise to gossip? No, though I would prefer to see you in something less sporting, but the habits of easy intercourse you are on with so many military gentlemen, rattles and scarlet coats as Charles divertingly calls them, and in particular with that man I saw you conversing with a moment ago, they make you appear fast with Stanton Lacey, which I know you would not wish. Sir Vincent is a shocking flirt. Did Charles desire you to warn me against all these rattles? Not precisely, no, but we have spoken about it and I know what his sentiments are. 
Do you think you are wise to be seen in my company, Miss Raxton? Now you are quizzing. I am only afraid you may suffer for being seen in such a vehicle as this, and with so fast a female. Perhaps it might be thought a little odd in me, for I do not drive myself in London. But I think my character is sufficiently well established to make it possible for me to do, if I wished, what others might be imprudent to attempt. So if I were to do something outrageous while in your company, would your credit be good enough to carry me off? Let us say my family's credit, Miss Stanton Lacey. I venture to reply without hesitation. Yes. Capital! What are you about? I'm going to do what I've been wanting to do ever since I was told I must not on any account. How glad I am you chose to drive with me. Please pull up your horses at once. I do not wish to drive through the streets. I wish to alight instantly. And walk unattended along Piccadilly? You cannot mean it. Stop! What a lot of traffic. Perhaps you had better not talk to me until I weave my way through all these carts and carriages. For heaven's sake, at least slacken your pace. I will when we come to the turning. Where are you taking me? Down St James's. You will do no such thing. No lady would be seen driving there amongst all the clubs. You would be the object of every town saunterer. You must stop this instant. I want to see this bow window in whites that I hear so much of and all the dandies who sit there. Are you able to point out the various clubs? Shall we recognise whites or are there other houses with bow windows? You are not serious! Of course, I should not have dared to do it without you sitting beside me to lend me credit. I dare say yours is great enough to make this quite a fashionable drive for ladies. No argument that Miss Raxton advanced had the power to move Sophie, who drove on inexorably. Eugenia thought of jumping from the phaeton, but that was too dangerous. Had she a veil, or even a parasol, she might have covered her face and hoped to escape recognition, but she had neither, and was obliged to sit bolt upright, staring rigidly ahead for the whole length of that disgraceful street. She did not utter another word until the horses swung round into Pall Mall, when she said in a low voice, unsteady with rage, I will never forgive you. Never. Shall I set you down now? If you dare abandon me in this locality... I will drive you to Berkeley Square. I don't know whether you will find my cousin at home at this hour, but at all events you may complain of me to my aunt, which I'm sure you must be longing to do. Do not speak to me! Ah, Charles, so you were at home when I dropped Miss Raxton off. I am so glad. Sophie? I'm sorry I took so long, but I had to make sure my horses were properly looked after. Will you come into the library for a few moments? Gladly. I shall just take off my driving gloves. Cousin, what in God's name possessed you? Hasn't Miss Raxton told you? I have realised an ambition. You must be mad. Don't you know how improper it was of you to do such a thing? Indeed I knew, and I should never have dared to do it without the protection of Miss Raxton's presence. She assured me that even though I did something outrageous in her company, her credit was good enough to carry me off. She cannot have said such a thing. No, have it as you will. What reason had you for causing her such mortification? I will leave her to tell you what she chooses. I have said too much already and I do not like tale-bearers. My actions are no concern of yours, Cousin Charles, much less Miss Raxton's. What you have just done is very much her concern. True. I stand corrected. It is also my concern to see that you come to no harm while you are a guest in this house. My dear Charles, I am past praying for, intimate as I am with rakes and rattles. Who said that? You, I understand. 
but you had too much delicacy to say it to my face. You should have known better than to think I should listen meekly to Miss Raxton, however. And you should know better than to imagine I would deliver my strictures through Miss Raxton, or anyone else. Oh, be quiet! Can't you see that I am too angry to talk with any moderation? My wretched tongue... It can indeed be wretched. You did discuss me with Miss Raxton, did you not? Whatever I may have said, I did not mean to be repeated. It was extremely improper of me to have criticised you to her, and I beg your pardon. Now I am disarmed. How provoking of you. Why couldn't you have flown into one of your rages? You are so disobliging. I apologise once more. Was it so very bad to have driven down St James's Street? You knew it was, for Miss Raxton told you so. You've caused her a great deal of distress, Sophie. Oh dear. I do such dreadful things when I lose my temper. Very well, it was wrong of me. Must I beg her pardon? You must see that you owe her an apology. If anything she may have said angered you, at least she had no such intention. She meant nothing but kindness and is very much upset by the outcome. I am to blame for having led her to suppose that I wished her to take you to task. That's very handsome of you, Charles. I am sorry. I have created an uncomfortable situation. Where is Miss Raxton? In the drawing room? Take me up to her then and I will do what I may to mend things. Thank you. Allow me. Miss Raxton, I am very sorry. What I did was shocking conduct and I beg your pardon. Will you forgive me? Your conduct was so shocking, Miss Stanton Lacey, that I prefer not to speak of it. If that means that you will try to forget it, I shall be very grateful to you. Certainly, I shall do so. You are very kind, and I thank you. Now, I shall leave you with my cousin. If anyone should mention it to me, I shall say that having bought those bays against my advice, you were well served, for they got away with you. Huh. But I hope you will do whatever you can to undo any harm I may have caused. My dear girl, don't refine on it too much. There is no need, I assure you. Thank you, Charles. You were not very generous to Sophie, were you, Eugenia? I consider her behaviour unpardonable. Well, you don't need to tell me that. You made it plain enough. I did not think to hear you take her part against me, Charles. I'm not, but the fault wasn't all hers. What do you mean? You had no right to take her to task, much less to repeat whatever ill-considered words I may have uttered. As someone with a temper myself, I'm not surprised she was so angry. You do not seem to consider the agony of mortification I have been obliged to suffer, Charles. What would Mama say if she knew? Enough, Eugenia, enough. You make too much of it. Let's, for heaven's sake, forget it. You're, you are quite right. I have allowed myself to be too much moved. Please assure your cousin that I shall not think of the matter again. That's more like you. I knew I couldn't be mistaken in you. Come here. Next time on The Grand Sophie, Lady Ombersley, her family and various hangers-on visit the colourful Marquesa da Villa Cañas, to whom Sophie's father, Sir Horace, is engaged. But what befalls the unfortunate Eugenia in the Bluebell Wood? And who comes to her rescue? Find out in Episode 3. Subscribe at thegrandsophie.co.uk or in any of your usual podcast apps.